Hey, I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for downloading this time what it's like being freelance for brand and web designer Liz Elgoat. One of the most liberating things I've done in the last few months is to actually say, I want to work with these sorts of people. I don't need to just take anyone as a client. If you can target a sector, you can then hone your website and your marketing to those people. And that's made a real difference to me. Unfortunately, to work as a freelancer, you have to become a business person. I'm really strict with my clients and I don't work with people who don't 100% agree to my payment terms because it is the thing in the world that will destroy your business is a 30-day payment term. Yes, thanks for downloading another episode of Being Freelance. Don't forget, beingfreelance.com is where you can find all the other episodes. Also, show notes about what we talk about and links to some of the things as well. This week, we're going to Norfolk and to brand and web designer Liz Elko. Hey, Liz, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Uh, so uh, the way we kind of do this is we always start with uh, the bit which sounds a bit pretentious where I ask you to tell <laughs> us about your freelance journey. But basically... Not the, not the J word. Yeah, it's a bit X-factorish. <laughs> How have you ended up uh, on this journey, man? Okay, um, it's probably slightly different to a lot of people. It's a bit unorthodox. Um, but basically I was, I was like born and then I went to school and then... I studied art and design with art history, which I still have a real passion and interest for. And then after school, I kind of felt the pressure to go into a proper career, (laughs) for want of a better word. And I ended up going and working for an Australian bank. (laughs) Oh, wow. A real proper career. Yeah, like a proper career, Um, like as a pensions advisor. And kind of thought this is boring and a bit rubbish for a while. So I moved then to a Danish medical company and I was a marketing assistant then a marketing manager and at the same time studied as a um, medical rep uh, basically because I heard it was really good money um, <laughs> so I'm quite mercenary um, <laughs> and then I thought well actually my sister then said and this is going to annoy quite a lot of people my sister then said you ought to have a go at web design it's really easy and people get paid loads of money for it so I thought yeah okay that sounds good because I realised as training as a medical rep that you had to look at really gross things all the time. <laughs> and, and that really, I remember fainting on one, um, when I, I was shadowing another medical rep and we had to go into the sort of old people's home and look at not very nice things. And I fainted and I thought, well, maybe this isn't the right career for me. <laughs> maybe. So I then kind of just did tutorials in the evening, how a lot of people learn. And, um, in my infinite stupidity, I thought, right, I'm going to give up this sort of, you know, Danish medical rep job and I'm going to become a web designer. And ignorance is bliss, is all I can say, because I I, I launched myself as a freelance designer and made quite a lot of money. And the more I did, the, the longer I worked on it, the, the more I realised that I knew nothing about it really and the the tutorials they were okay I could design and I had an eye for it because of going to college and stuff but um there was so much to it that I didn't understand so I thought right I need to get a job and actually properly work with proper designers so I ended up um working for an agency for about three years um and worked my way kind of up the ranks there and came out knowing a lot more but actually knowledge is power but also makes you really scared because you <laughs> you know a lot more about what could go wrong 
Um, <laughs> and, and since then I've been freelance. So that's been my freelance journey, basically. A bit weird. So how, how long ago was it that you left the agency then? Four years, I think. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. four years. Maybe, maybe three years. That's really um, nice, though. So you started out with this obvious passion for art, ended yeah. up being a mar- marketing manager, so picking up uh, an I interest learnt, in marketing. And so much learnt then, actually. and Because I'm not just a, a web designer. I kind of feel that I work with clients a lot on marketing as well and can really use that. Um, and I learned loads then and probably I learned a lot of how to deal with customers then as well. Yeah. Um, so that was really good grounding because I think it's all right going, oh, I'm a web designer. But if you don't know how to apply that to a client and what they need, you can be the best web designer in the world. But if you're not kind of helping them achieve their goals, then it's all a bit pointless. I like the fact that you've, you you took, this is a bit similar to Stu, who we spoke to, yeah. uh, who was a motion designer, that he... He he was a freelancer and then thought, actually, I don't know as much as I thought I did. Yeah. He took that step back um, before, you know, moving forward. And Definitely. It made me a bit more humble. I was kind of like, yeah, this web design lark, it's so easy, you know. And I, to be honest, I think there is some truth in that. I think there are some designers out there, web designers out there who go, yeah, going to become a web designer, learn how to code, do mediocre websites, bash them out to the clients, make lots of money. And probably in some ways it's easier than being really passionate and really caring about what you do um, because it's sort of just a process then. And there's a lot of clients out there who don't really know what they want and it's quite easy for certain types of designers to sell them something that perhaps isn't ticking their boxes, but it is a website as you know, the client would know it. So it sounds like you spend quite a bit of time then almost educating clients or get, get getting to know them, uh, getting to know what they need. Well, actually, I'd say that the web design part of my actual job that I do now, that it's morphed into, and I've, you know, this has been down to me understanding what I enjoy really and, and realising what I enjoy, um, is actually client with the client. And really, I... When I when I work with a client, I get to know their company as much as I possibly can without working for them. And I get to know that person as much as I can because I want to build up a relationship with them and I don't want to walk away when I've launched their product and go by and, you know, that be the end of it. I'd want to be able to carry on working with them and I help them set goals for what they want to do with their company in the future um, how that website's going to really work for them because it's a big investment. So I think in order to do that, you have to do a lot of research. And I really enjoy that. I really, really enjoy that side of things, probably as much as I do the actual sitting down and designing website. And when you're doing that, do you you like do you send them a questionnaire or is it more simply sitting around with a coffee and chatting to them and finding out? It's definitely sitting... I don't have a questionnaire, which I know is... Uh, a lot of people do. And I, and actually I did get sent one. I was working with a chap who was, I was sort of working just as a designer on a project the other day. Cause I do a bit of that as well. And he sent me a question. It was the best one I've ever read. Cause some of them are dreadful, but his was really, really good. And it actually totally let me know what the client wanted, but I don't tend to use one because I really like sitting down with the client, I like going to where they work um, and spending time with them and it just makes the whole thing so much easier how do you build that time that you're spending into your 
I guess into your pricing. How far would you travel, for example? Might you spend two hours on the road, an hour at a place? I, you know? To be honest, I travel. I'm happy to travel wherever because um, I love traveling and I love because I'm freelance and work from home. I absolutely love getting away and traveling. So I tend to, well, we'll I'll talk quite extensively with a client before I meet them and sort of make it clear that, um, you know, a meeting would be included in the price as well. Um, and I think of always honesty up front is the best policy. Um, and then I sort of also factor in research as well into my time as well, because I think what, and what I explain to clients is what I perhaps use up in that time, I take off when I'm designing, if that makes sense, because mm. I've got all that knowledge in the first place. By the time I sit down to do a design, I know exactly what it's going to look like and what they need. That may sound really arrogant, but I, but it, generally that's the case. And generally I get it right first time because... So rather than going back and constantly having to change something after I've done the initial design, which often adds on time to a designer and... and Dis, um, you know, puts off having sign off on something. I tend to make sure I've got that all in place beforehand. Um, yeah. I, I find that makes a real difference. So actually, probably time-wise, it's exactly the same as it would be if I didn't put all that time in. It's that whole thing, isn't it? Who I, I'm going to misquote dramatically here. Is it Benjamin Franklin who said something like, if, if you're going to ask me to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend four hours sharpening my axe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so true. Because um, I, I chop down so many trees, and so, you know. <laughs> yeah, obviously, we all do. Do you um, do a fixed fee? No. I'm probably one of those people who are slightly different in that I... I try to work as much within a client's budget just because someone's budget isn't as big as someone else's doesn't mean that they're not a company that's really worthy of having the best branding that they could have, the best website they could have. Um, and if their budget is small, but they have a job that's quite large and that needs to be charged accordingly for, I tend to break it down into lots of different sections. Um, so I've just done a massive rebrand a complete rebrand not a massive rebrand a complete rebrand for a, a company um locally who really great company really great product really lovely person who owns it not the biggest budget in the world but a budget that could suit what she wanted to have done if it was spread over a period of time and it was a, it was branding it was shop front design um, it was website or station, you know, everything really. So I just broke that into sections and did it like that. Um, and I think that made it a little bit easier, but definitely on an individual basis with each client. I don't think there's any other way to do it really, because it's all so different and individual. And sometimes a project can take a month and sometimes it can take six months. So when you say you break it down into sections, are you saying, um, well, this is how much this would cost. Why don't we do this bit first? Yes, definitely. And I kind of, I, I try and advise them on what to do first. So I focus on that one first. And what I'll do is I'll charge like a 50% fee up front for that section. And then when that's signed off, I'll um, charge the rest of that section. So I'm getting paid regularly in some ways more regularly than if I priced up the whole job and just charge 50% up front because this job took six months because it was so big. So if I'd done that, I'd got 
that up front and then that at the end whereas breaking it down actually keeps my cash flow regular as well it might be smaller but it is regular Mm. Um, and it's like really achievable goals for the client and for me as well so you're not completely overwhelmed by such a massive task and from the client's point of view being able to see that those deadlines being hit all the time gave her confidence that we would make that Um, and we just communicated all the time through the whole thing so she knew what was going on and I tried to do that as much as possible and I tried to work with people that I like as well and I think that makes such a difference <laughs> if you, do you know what I mean if you um if you're really invested in a business and a person it makes such a difference to how you work with them that's brilliant how did you go about like when, when you left the agency four years ago or whatever presumably that work belongs to them so how does it go or to the client or whatever? So how does it go about like building up that portfolio to, to take that step away? Um, well, that's, that's a really good point. I, I run a podcast as well and we've talked about that quite a lot on there um, because a lot of people don't have a portfolio, whether they're just starting out um, or they're leaving an agency. And it's something that is always an ongoing question. What I did was I would email a client, a potential client, and I would email agencies that I wanted to work with and um, anyone that I wanted to work with, really. I had a, I was really OCD about it. I had like a spreadsheet with agency names that I wanted to work with, people that I wanted to work with. And I'd like make initial contact with them and I'd keep a note of whether they replied and stuff. And within that, I'd put links to projects that I'd worked on with my previous company. Um, and my previous company was okay with that it was only if I had been putting it on a portfolio online that I then you know was not representing them correctly but yeah just to link to projects that I've worked on um that's how I did it at that stage um and then obviously first few clients come in also things like a Behance portfolio so even little bits that I did I did like private projects that I redesigned my CV um quite graphically and I put that on there other bits and bobs like that you know like posters and stuff like that just to show that I had a, a level of skill really and that's how I got started with that and then eventually <laughs> too long down the line I finally got a website together <laughs> yeah so you're so busy designing other people's yeah. and helping them um was that one of the most torturous things to do actually to to put together your own site I didn't let it be what I do is I treat myself like a client so I do exactly what I do with a client and remove my own self and my ego from it because otherwise I'd never get it done yeah which is easier said than done yeah, it is. It's really good, though. I was working on it yesterday. I really enjoy it because I'm making a lot of notes. And Rachel Shilcock, who's a friend of mine in the industry, she's giving me loads of pointers on this because I was like, I emailed her the other week. I was like, oh, I just don't, I just, I'm so stuck. And she was like, right, okay, do this, this, and this. And it's really worked. And actually sitting down and note, and like, I love, <laughs> it's so geeky, but I love doing user personas um, because it's so interesting to really think about the people who are going to be using me and the people I want to work with. And actually one of the most liberating things I've done in the last few months is to actually say, I want to work with these sorts of people. I don't want to work with these. I don't need to just take anyone as a client. And actually it's better not to just take anyone as a client. If you can target a sector or a certain kind of industry, then you can then hone your website and your marketing to those people. And that's made a real difference to me. Yeah, that's really, uh, really good. And also the fact that you've got somebody else to 
basically run your ideas past? Obviously, being a freelancer can be quite lonely. Have you managed to build up quite a, a community? It feels like web designers and stuff, um, they're all quite chatty online. We found this with like the open source type, coder type people as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's a huge community out there. I've got really good friends now that I met, you know, sort of on Twitter um, and subsequently have met at conferences and stuff like that and they've basically saved my sanity I think because it is it is lonely working on your own um I used to live in Lincolnshire and I had a lot of colleagues nearby and we'd have loads of meetups and then I moved to Norfolk and I, I didn't know anyone here and I still don't really know anyone here um and that's been quite difficult but it's really saved me sort of having um friends that I can go and go to conferences and meet up with like that um it's really important and I think there's a real generosity amongst some people about well, a lot of people within the industry but only if you're authentic if you're kind of like you know oh arrogant tweets about how you're just like nailing this design and you're amazing and stuff I think that you don't really get a lot of um comeback from that but I think the minute that you kind of are honest and perhaps show a bit of your underbelly and a bit of vulnerability people really do you know support you I've had incredible support from them it's amazing so yeah that's really important for me and I I as I said I do podcasts as well and that's so important for me because that saves my sanity talking to someone like (laughs) (laughs) once or twice a week and and Sean who I do it with is just such an inspiring guy he used to be my boss which was hilarious uh he wasn't really a people person and um (laughs) I'd say that to his face and he knows it um so that was quite funny and then he left the company that I worked for and then persuaded me to leave as well. And um, so he's just such a talented and inspiring guy. And that's really, really good. So, yeah, I've got loads of great people, actually. I've got a lot of people that I can turn to and go, God, I'm really miserable today. Isn't it depressing? And they'll go, mm, shut up, get on with it kind of thing. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> Do you know, hearing you say that about Sean, it's a great podcast, by the way. Oh, uh, thank you. The Freelance Web. Um, we'll, we'll put a link in the show I'm notes. I'm not trying to plug it, by the way. <laughs> by all means, I will, if you don't. Um, thank you. But what what is uh, whereas obviously we I'm I'm sort of chatting to various people and I know that you do do that on the podcast but a lot of the time every week it'll be you you two talking yeah and that's almost a bit like that I don't know it kind it's a bit like having a mentor it it's that sort of relationship where you're able to talk about not just what you might be geeking over design wise but actually the nitty-gritty of the freelance business kind of thing yeah definitely I think the design aspect of what we do is actually quite a small part um, and it's probably the least challenging because at the end of the day we're doing that because we we love that and we're comfortable with what we do or we wouldn't be doing it if we weren't confident with with what the with the fact that we could do it so I think that's probably the easiest part but there are all the other really tricky parts actually like you know finding work getting paid staying motivated dealing with perhaps you know a bit of isolation as well and we've touched on some quite tricky topics we I mean depression is quite a prevalent um problem within our industry and I think a lot of that is to do with isolation to be honest and also the sorts of people who are you know creative people who are more prone to mental illness and we've talked about that quite openly and we were involved in the geek mental health week and stuff I think that the response to that was absolutely astonishing. Just so many people going, oh, thank, thank you, because we thought we were on our own and we didn't know who to talk to and we've always felt ashamed and stuff like that. So I think it. we tried to, yes, touch on, 
you know, all aspects of freelancing. Some of them are a bit uncomfortable, but you can't really shy away from that kind of thing. Do you know that's really powerful, though, isn't it? Especially the whole uh, the mental health aspect to you know even if you've just helped one person who's listening but I'm sure it's many more yeah definitely I found it quite a responsibility actually I suffered with mental health issues myself in the past and I wrote about them oh it must have been like three years ago and I got an overwhelming response to it and um I got asked to speak at various things after that but I also had people writing to me who were in really real dire straits you know like their work was so, they worked for an agency that was so awful to them that they were, you know, feeling at the end of their tether and stuff. And you think, oh God, I kind of didn't, <laughs> didn't expect that. So I think that's when I, I was sort of speaking to Andy Clark about it on his podcast. And we sort of came up with the idea of like the Geek Mental Health Week to open it up a bit more and to actually hopefully give people maybe advice where to go and what to do. I mean, we're not medical professionals, obviously, we can't say, oh, you need to do this. But to know that there's resources out there that can help them, they don't have to stay in that scenario. Because, you know, work takes up a vast amount of your life. And if you are deeply unhappy within it, you've got to do something about it, no matter how scary it is. Would you say that for sort of, I guess, dealing things on your own is the biggest challenge of being freelance? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Money worries are always there always and I think that Stu who you spoke to in your last one said that as well that it's you know some months you can do really well and then other months it can be really quiet and dealing with that on your own can be quite trying and I used to really let that get on top of me and it would really affect how I worked and how creative I was because you know there's nothing worse than being worried about money really because you need it to live mm. um and so it used to get on top of me horrendously and it was this horrible, vicious circle. Um, and so now I just, something always works out. It, it honestly does. And I just let that come to the forefront of my mind and go, look, it's something will come, come up. It always does without doubt. And I think if you have faith in that, it tends to as well. Um, you tend to attract what you, you know, you, you're looking for. Um, and at the end of the day, if all else fails, you can get a part-time job. So that's why I haven't got to that stage yet, but that's always like, well, if all else fails, I can go and work in a bar or something. Um, <laughs> you know, there's always a way. So letting that fear overwhelm you is so destructive. Um, and I think that's something that you have to work on mentally when you're on your own all the time to to overcome that it also sounds like you've you've taken charge of the finances as well by you know for example being setting that structured pattern that you spoke about earlier get, getting money up front i'm really nasty about money with my clients <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> not in that i go over and like break their legs if they don't pay me though you know it's been tempting in the time no nasty's probably the wrong one i'm really strict with my clients and i don't work with people who don't 100 percent agree to my payment terms no matter how delightful the package that they're trying to offer me is um if they say oh well, we worked with 30 day payment term i'm like well i don't and so we can't work together. And sometimes they go, oh, okay, well, we'll work to your payment terms then. Or they go, uh -huh. okay, bye. Um, and in that case, I don't want to work with them because it is the thing in the world that will destroy your business is a 30-day payment term. I read um, an article called How to Kill Your Business 
30-day payment terms by um, John O'Nolan. And um, he wrote it ages and ages ago. It's like 2010. I read it thought, oh my God, that's so true. And he has seven-day payment terms for his clients. And he said, because what happens is if you have seven-day payment terms and they pay you a bit late, then they pay you within 10 days normally or 11 days. And that's fine. If you have 30-day payment terms and they pay you a bit late, then you're like six weeks to two months down the line not getting paid. And it, mm. and as a small business owner, as a freelance person, you can't do that. And my payment terms, I've taken it to the next level, my payment terms are immediate. So I'm like, I invoice you because a lot of the time project beginning um, is on the back of me being paid. So I'm like, I don't start a project till I am paid my initial deposit. And my initial deposit is always 50%, never less than that. That's all set out in my terms and conditions. And so the initial invoice of 50% goes in and I expect that to be paid straight away. And then I can start work straight away. But by the time that all happens, I've spoken to the client and I've spent so much time with them that they have complete faith in me doing that. So they're happy with that. And I know there's a lot of um, industries that that just wouldn't work for. And I understand that, but that's how I have to work to manage my finances. But there are so many clients who are perfectly happy to do that. Particularly, I find like small, like self-employed clients or clients with small businesses, they're the best payers. Um, It's the big companies that are the problem because they they have set payment terms and even though they could easily put through a payment to you bank transfer to you they don't do it because they think that they don't need to adhere to your condition so I don't work with people like that um so yeah I think that's probably how I manage my money um so it's quite straight <laughs> like school mistress I'm I'm in awe of that in in many ways. It's it's such a tough thing to do and to get it right. But as you say, I guess it sounds like you you bring it up at the beginning and people are like, okay, well that's that's I what it's well going to be. That if you if you acquiesce at that point in a relationship with a client, then you are making yourself vulnerable um, to them abusing the relationship. I think if you go into it as a professional, in my case, business woman, then they respect you. And recognize you as someone that they want to work with. If you go into it as like, oh, like, oh, yeah, I'll do whatever and a bit flaky about stuff, then their faith in you is going to be less because you, you need to come up, you know, you need to be a confident person, say, yep, right, this is my terms. I will deliver this for you. We'll set those goals. And if we do this, they will happen. And I think that a few people, or several, you know, people in our industry fall down on that. Um, they're desperately passionate about the web design side of it and they're wonderful designers, but they're not business people. And unfortunately, to work as a freelancer, you have to become a business person. So it's something that I'm not comfortable with because I find that all a bit distasteful. I'm certainly not a salesperson. I'm quite a shy person. And I used to kind of ooh, shy away from that kind of thing. So probably <laughs> probably training as a, as a medical rep wasn't the best idea for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's been a lot of mistakes like that in my life. Um, but it's something you just kind of got to get over. When it comes to those terms and conditions and contracts and stuff that you set out, was that like a template type thing or did you actually go to a lawyer or? I um, worked from, I worked with Sean quite a lot because he had a really good contract as well and actually stole his terms and conditions to start off with and then sort of mutated them into my own. But Andy Clark did something called a contract killer, um, which is my clients really respond to. I think it's it's really well known in our industry. Um and it's a it's a really good contract and it's 
no jargon, no legal speak. It's just really straightforward and personable. And all of my clients love it. But it also, I, you know, it's my solicitor's seen it and it's legally binding as well. Um, and that's available online for anyone to download as well. So it's, I think a lot of people use it and you can take, you, you can download it and then you can change it as to how you want. It's not copyrighted or anything like that. It can be adapted to whatever you want. And I've kind of morphed that into what I, what I need now as well. So I think that's really important. Yeah. Really important to do that. Cool. We'll put a link to that as well. Was it, did, did you say Andy created it? Yeah, and he created it for his God clients. bless you, sir. I know. He's a clever He's a clever guy. Now, I, I know we're running out of time. I could feel like I could chat for it. Sorry, I, I do talk a little bit too much. You can tell I spend all day on my own, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So, um, yeah, we, we always do this, right? So three facts about yourself, two of which are true. One is a lie, and then I have to figure out the lie. Okay, well, you failed from what I can gather in your last yes. ones, o- haven't you? Always. I I thought Stu's were really good. I didn't get his at all. I thought they were all really plausible, to be honest. You're basically saying he sounded like a man who would set fire to his own arm. <laughs> oh, I did just realise that. I <laughs> gloss over that bit, but thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Pasty. <laughs> um, okay, I've got three. They're quite tricky. This is quite hard, actually. Um, first of all, I am utterly terrified of public speaking. Um, to the point where I actually get faint and dry mouthed and I literally rabbit in the headlights, can't speak. Um, it's horrible. It's a really ugly thing to witness and even worse to be <laughs> the person <laughs> involved in it. Second fact is I'm, I'm actually currently writing a sitcom um, with a friend of mine in my spare time as a hobby. Well, it's not really a hobby, it's a side project, I guess. Right. (laughs) My third fact is that when I was 16, I was approached by... Well, we had some friends who were... He was a film producer, a really well-known, famous film producer. When I was 16, he asked me if I'd like to act quite a major role in one of his films because I did a lot of drama at school and um, was really into that kind of thing. And my other choice, apart from art school, was drama school. And I turned it down and that film went on to become number one in the US and grossed $35 million. So that's my third fact. (gasps) Jeez, where do you start? Um, You see, the public speaking thing, you just said that you're really into drama. Uh, Although there is a massive difference because when you're doing drama, you're pretending to be somebody Mm. else, which is a big difference to saying your own words. Yeah. So, yeah, I did kind of get that. Sitcom. You're writing a sitcom? What's what's the sitcom about? (laughs) Um, It's about a lady of a similar age to me (laughs) in a similar situation to me um, and sort of the antithesis to your usual... Miranda kind of sitcom. Um, I can't really say any more than that. Don't want anyone nicking my ideas. Ah, uh, of course. Or or it doesn't exist. Uh, drama. <laughs> what was the last one? Oh, yeah, missing out on a massive film role. Okay, I can totally believe that you're rabbits in the headlights at public speaking. You have said a few times that you've done it, though. But it is hard. Drama, missing out on a thing. That's kind of plausible. You, you might say these are all true. Sitcom. I, no, I'm going for the sitcom. Okay. You, um, I mean, equally, that's possible. But uh, what? No, sitcom. I'm going to sitcom. Okay. You're not writing a sitcom. You're just not. You're wrong. Oh! 
I'm sorry. Every but once time. again, once again, you, you just get people on who are too good at lying, basically. <laughs> Pathological liars, that's the problem. Oh my God. The sitcom thing's totally true. I've been a frustrated writer all of my life and I've always wanted to write a book and just have so many characters in my life that would make a fabulous sitcom and being, I don't know, it just, yeah, so we're just writing that at the moment for fun and nothing will probably come of it and no one will probably touch it, but it's really, it's really funny. And it also puts like negative things that have happened in your life. You can put such a positive, hilarious (laughs) spin on them because they're just so funny, really, once you've got through them. The episode where you get to do some public speaking. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. Definitely. And kind of I moved to Norfolk um, to be with my partner at the time and then we we broke up. So I was kind of abandoned in Norfolk after that. That's a good name for a sitcom. (laughs) Abandoned in Norfolk. It's terrifying, isn't it? Um, Yeah. And then the final one. That was my mum that that happened to. And the film was called Excalibur and it's a film by John Borman. And most people who listen to this will never have heard of it. I had never have heard of it. It happened before I was born. But it was a massive, massive hit in the US and she was she was offered the main role in that and she turned it down. Wow. And she she doesn't really regret it because I think that, you know, life is what it is, isn't it? And she's had a wonderful life anyway. But that was always kind of a childhood story. If she'd have taken that role, you might not be who you are. I know. Abandoned in Norfolk. I know. I might be like a nice Hollywood brat. I'd much prefer to be that, to be honest, than in Norfolk. I really would. Uh, thanks so much for speaking. No to, to this. Just so many gems have been shared. Take a look at beingfreelance.com and we'll put the links on there as well as some of the key takeaway points and stuff like that. Mention the freelance web, which is back for a second season, yes? It's just started again. Uh, so it's the freelance web. Go take a listen. And even if if you're not, because I know it's, you know, for people who work on the web, I think is, is kind of what you say. But even if you don't, because I, I know I do video and audio type stuff, I found loads of benefit from that. Oh, that's nice uh, to know. So, um, so do take a listen. Um, but thanks so much. If there is something you would say to your younger self starting out uh, in freelance, what would you say? That's a really good, um, really good question. I would say decide before you begin who you want to work with you know you have certain people or certain industries certain sectors that you gravitate towards find out what that is and target those people because it makes your life so much easier and it makes their life so much easier as well otherwise you're just floundering around in a sea of people Nice. No one wants that. (laughs) And working within a specific sector means that you become known in that sector because those people communicate with other people within the sector, I think. And that's something that I've learned in the last year, basically. And it's it's changed changed my it's changed my life <laughs> Liz thanks so much for chatting about being freelance no problem thank you just want to mention if you felt that bit about isolation and depression in this episode really resonated with you please do check out beingfreelance.com on the show notes for Liz's conversation you'll find a link to the geek mental health week website that's full of great articles, blog posts, podcasts, plus additional professional resources that can offer you support. So please do take a look. That's beingfreelance.com. All right. Take care. And as ever, have a great week being freelance. Freelance.